This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Atlanta. defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Good morning, Icon. As we continue to move through the book of John together as a church community, we are sort of hitting this transitional point in the text. We need to remember sometimes that reading the four different gospels is almost like watching four different documentaries, four different movies about the same person from four different directors. So each are conveying who Jesus is, but the form that they take, the details they include, the references they make, all vary based on who they are and also who they are trying to communicate this message to. And John is the one who finalizes and crafts his account last. He has seen the other accounts and he has had the most time to reflect and to consider, what do I want to include to communicate Jesus's identity to his people? And in turn, what that means for his followers. John is also able to witness more of the events unfolding after Jesus died and rose and ascended and experiences more of what the start of the early church looks like. So he's had some time to piece things together and to consider with what the early church is dealing with. What do they need to know about Jesus? What do they need to hear from him in terms of what he said as they are facing the rawship, the hardness of life? So with that in mind, we come to this part in John, this section, John chapters 14 through 17, which is very unique to his account in gospel. He includes Jesus's final words, this longer discourse, as the main event in history is about to be set into motion. This section on one hand could be thought of as almost this farewell speech. If you have one more conversation with those that you love the most, and you know that what is coming next for them is going to be really difficult, what do you want to say to them? What do you wanna tell them so that they feel that you love them, to encourage them and to give them what they need? So on one hand for Jesus, that's what this operates as. But another way to look at it could be as sort of that scene in the movie when the hero is speaking before the world is about to be rocked or the battle is about to begin. It's like the presidential address before the aliens invade or before the asteroid hits the earth, or it's the king building up the troops before battle. So Jesus's final words in these chapters serve to comfort, to assure, to remind his followers and his people, I am with you in this. But they also kind of serve to give this heads up. This is what's going to come your way to sort of amp them up by reminding them the power that is with them and to make his followers feel ready on every level to face what is coming their way. So that night as Jesus and his disciples sit around the table together after having this intimate meal where Jesus has already caused for them probably some distress and some anxiety with his words about what is to come. He speaks these things in chapters 14 through 17. 
to those he loves. He speaks these words to those that he knows will be beaten because of him, will endure a life that is not normal or comfortable because of him, some of whom will endure a brutal death because of him. And so Jesus is seeking to give reasons to hope and to bear up his people. And it's not with just some concept that far off in the future, it will get better or with these promises of escapism. For his disciples on this night long ago and for us, Jesus gives present and future assurances as an anchor for our hearts when we are weary, when our bodies are exhausted, and when our faith is feeling shaky. So this morning we are going to just touch on the first few verses, the first few words in what is a much longer discourse that Jesus is giving. So from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7, hear the words of Jesus. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So he starts with, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus knows that for us operating in this world, that when difficulties come, that first battle is going to be in our hearts, in our minds, and in our spirits. This word heart here, cardia, where we get cardiac, is never used to describe the physical organ. The heart here is supposed to be thought of as the center of your feelings and your thoughts. All that you are and all that you do flows from this. The heart is the root of how you function as a person. So Jesus is acknowledging here, for those of you who belong to me, the core of who you are is at times going to be distressed, discouraged, and uncertain. A comfort in this on a very simple level is that Jesus is communicating that he does not expect those who are his to be operating in this world unfazed by things that are hard. He doesn't expect those who are his to be always sort of floating above the challenges. I think sometimes as Christians, when tragedy strikes or the news keeps getting worse or our bodies keep breaking down, we can, even without realizing it, function as if God expects us to be completely unmoved or to be completely unaffected if we have real faith. So we can suppress emotions or refuse to sit in the implications of what our trials bring. 
And instead, maybe just even flippantly say at times, well, God's sovereign, without really processing or feeling. So we'll bury things and we'll rehearse scripture like platitudes. Making this your MO when trouble comes will result in an inauthentic faith. This world isn't yet fully restored. It has sharp edges. And so Jesus is saying, I know you're going to feel this. Heads up, it doesn't surprise me. You're still mine even when you struggle. As a follower of Jesus, you can recognize and feel and wrestle with the pain of this world because Jesus is still God in the midst of the chaos. He's no less God in the darkness, so don't act like he can't handle you within that. He's actually pretty great at holding us within that. So he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is not Jesus saying that for all people in all things, you have the ability in you to take complete mastery over anxiety and just decide to pray it away if you believe hard enough. This don't let your hearts be troubled believe has too often in church spaces been weaponized against those living with trauma or anxiety from a variety of reasons and factors. So people are then not encouraged to get help from professionals that God has gifted and anointed with the specific skills and ability to help bring healing into those spaces. So then on top of what you're dealing with, you have spiritual guilt heaped upon you and a God who is portrayed as almost being disappointed in you, in your lack of ability to trust him. Pushing that theology is spiritual abuse. Jesus isn't saying these words to add burden or stress to his children. He's saying these words to help bring us freedom and to ease our hearts. With these words, he's trying to lift us up and comfort us not give us more pressure. This isn't a call from Jesus to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, but rather it's a reminder to those who are his of what is available to us in and through him. It points to his ability to ease troubled hearts. Because the question that follows is, how? How do I not let my heart be troubled? How do I believe when this world hurts, when life hurts? And Jesus answers this question, not just with one reason. He doesn't give us three clean bullet points, but he gives us the next four chapters or a very long conversation on Jesus's end to answer this question. So for today, we hear a few of what those reasons are. Again, verse two. Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. The father's house here is supposed to refer to where God the father is enthroned. It's this dwelling place on a divine and authoritative level. This is the hub of where the power emanates from, if it even has a hub. But the point of Jesus mentioning this place is that the dwelling place is with God 
And he's mentioning many rooms to point to the fact that he is encompassing a great many of kinds and types of people as being set apart for God. So we have to remember, Jesus is Jewish. He's talking to Jewish followers. So this is another way that he's really expanding who God is for. He is for all types, and there's no limit on how much room he has. So he's reminding them, but he's also reminding us that he isn't shutting out a specific people or kind of person. This would have been shocking and jarring for them because he's opening up the way where it had been for such a specific people group before. This would have been so shocking that he emphasizes this with almost this comment of, I ain't lying. I would have told you if it wasn't like this. I would have told you if it was just for you. But there's many rooms. It's limitless room. It may be hard for them and us to comprehend when you think of a particular type of person, a particular faction of people who seem like a lost cause right now, or maybe even a specific person in whom it's hard to see any semblance of God's image. But Jesus says, I'm not lying when I say there's a lot of room, and I did that. And I'm going to prepare that place for those who are mine. This is not in the sense of, I'll make sure your fancy houses in heaven are ready. This isn't about hospitality. This is also not about him preparing heaven to be a place for us to entertain ourselves with all the things that we think we want to do forever. He's not, you know, preparing a football field so you can play forever or whatever when you were a kid you imagined or hoped would be possible for you in heaven. It's not about him operating in that way, but rather this phrasing of preparing a place is Jesus nodding to the fact that he has to first go through the entire process of dying and then defeating death in order to obtain the way for us to get there. This is the concept of being a forerunner, the word prodromos in the Greek. So in Roman culture at that time, this word was often used for two different functions. One was to describe the reconnaissance troops that would go out ahead of the main army in order to blaze the trail and to make sure that the way was safe for everyone else to follow. The second way it was used was to describe a pilot boat that would go ahead of a large ship when it was coming into the harbor, especially at night, in order to bring it safely to its destination, to weave it through all of the things that could cause trouble. So Jesus in his death and ascent is our forerunner. This is him preparing the place. He blazed the trail and made the way and can guide us to our destination. Without him going first, we don't go at all. The way would still be shut. And he purchased the ability to do that by sacrificing himself. Another way of saying this could be, I go to make the way safely, to possess your place and to provide it for you. And when he goes that way first, he doesn't then separate himself. He's not hanging out in the clouds for a while until he can come again. Rather here, when it says, I will come again, that's actually written in the present tense. I come or I am coming. 
This isn't limited then to God's next coming, but this speaks to what he will talk about later in this conversation when he talks about bringing a helper or a few chapters down for us. This is meant to be this expression of his continual presence coming by the Holy Spirit. Christ is continually coming into the world. He is coming continually in and through us. These are all reasons he can say, don't let your heart be troubled and believe in me. Because in the next breath, he's explaining, I'm continually with you. I have secured something for you. So you have the capacity to, at the end of the day, not be troubled or worried or disturbed in the deepest part of who you are, because there is never a moment when you are away from him. You can't hide from him. You can't make him turn his back on you out of frustration or disappointment. When you aren't thinking of him, he doesn't go somewhere else until you decide to access him again. When you are his, you cannot be apart. In Christ, you can literally never be alone. Take you to myself, in verse 3, switches to the future then. So this is like a saying, uh, I am presently and continually coming, and in the future, I will take you to myself. For our future, there will be a place he will receive us to, where we will be with him forever, but in a different sense than we are now. So Jesus here is giving as a means to not be troubled, a promise and assurance of a present and future hope in his continual and unbroken presence with us. So that where I am, you may be also, isn't just Jesus talking of a location in heaven floating out there somewhere where we will be in the future. This is to encourage his children that for now and any time to come, I am with you. Where you are, he always is. Often, I think this passage is viewed as exclusively escapism. One day, we're going to get out of here. And there is a level of comfort in that one day we will be somewhere without pain, without distress, without trauma, where everything is made new. For sure, there's a hope that sits in that. But a present hope is included here. We need to remember that the good news of the kingdom of God is not exclusively about or limited to people leaving earth for heaven. The good news of the kingdom of God is that the rule of God is coming here. It's about the divine who created this earth dwelling with his people and remaking this. It's about what is of God being infused back into this space where things have been broken. This is a glorious present and future hope that are closely connected. Which means this is true right now in this moment. Today, no matter what the news brings us today, this is still true. Nothing can ever change this. For his disciples hearing this in the room that night, we have to recognize how uh, confused, probably distressed they were. They had come into this city. There's, they know something's coming and Jesus is saying all these things, some of which sounds a little uh, intimidating or even scary. 
So bless Thomas for piping up and asking probably the question that everyone else in that room was already thinking. Because the thought of separation from Jesus is horrible, and that's a little bit of what that probably sounds like to them right now. So in verse 5, we read, Lord, Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Thomas is concerned and he asks this very valid question and Jesus answers with another I am statement. John uses a lot of I am statements throughout scripture and every time we read that or hear that or see that, we need to always connect that Jesus is making this proclamation of himself being fully God. And what, ans- or what follows the I am statement then carries an enormous amount of weight. And so here he claims, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am the way. For the Jews, the way was the path to follow in order to reach the true goal of your destiny. The way shows up often throughout the Old Testament. They would have been so familiar with this phrasing, as we should be as well. Psalms and Proverbs talk of the way of the righteous, the way to walk, the way of life. The prophets speak of the way of the just, the way to Zion, the way of holiness. The way over time had had many different characteristics for hundreds of years. And Jesus right here is claiming all of those characteristics to be fully present in him, embodied in him. The way of all of these things are centered in him. Because he's not defining the way, he is it. This is a powerful declaration. This is Jesus declaring himself as the one to follow in order to reach the true goal of your destiny. He is claiming to be the author and the supplier of salvation and therefore the author and supplier of our restoration. He bears the purpose of our being. I am the way and the truth. Jesus isn't saying when he says, I am the truth, that he teaches truth. He doesn't say he is the best truth revealer. Rather, truth is bound up in him, which means all truths do and must run back to him. All of their efficacy and use depend upon their relation to him. He is the center and the through line for anything ever spoken, written, or manifest that is true. This means all truth and revealing of truth is actually spiritual domain. So no wonder it is so hard to embrace truth when it is pressing against us. No wonder we fight truth when it threatens our formed identity. No wonder fighting to make truth known leaves many of us mentally and emotionally bruised and bloodied. Because the spiritual powers of darkness, they lay it all out when truth is coming to bear. They will not give up easily because truth strips the darkness of its power. 
No wonder the powers of darkness tremble at him. As truth, Jesus is the literal undoing of them. So we need to remember what we are really fighting against when it seems so hard for truth to be known. Remember what is warring against you when you are refusing to embrace truth. And remember that the powers of darkness fear you when you are bearing truth forth, not just because of what you are communicating, it's because of who you are making manifest. The enemy and those with him lose everything when Christ is effective through you by opening hearts and minds to truth. And that's because truth bears forth freedom and it bears forth life. I am the way, the truth, and I am the life. As the life, he is the source of all things. Present at creation, the basis of the second creation, the bearer of our bodies and our souls. And as the definition of life, he didn't just come to free us from death, but he also came to infuse us with spiritual life and to help us to live fully by the spirit. His life is in us, and we demonstrate him when we cultivate life and when our efforts are upon shutting down what is of death, what suppresses the flourishing of others. A beauty and a power and mystery of how Jesus redeems us is that our actions, our words, our presence become a means by which the body of Christ is present and bearing this forth today. When you make sacrifices so that people can know the way, Christ is the way present. When you work to reveal truth, Christ is the truth present. When you push back against the powers that keep people from flourishing, Christ is the life present. Jesus is not a representation of the way, the truth, and the life. He was and is, and we represent and bear him, and we are physically still here. So we have a job to do, And it's going to be hard, which Jesus is going to explain further in this discourse. It's going to be hard because the establishment of God's kingdom requires a dethroning of the world's kingdoms. And as the body of Christ present here, we are defined by the way, the truth, and the life to do the work of dethroning the world's kingdoms so that God's kingdom is present. This is a battle of power. This is a turf war. And Jesus will specify soon for us and for them. This is exactly how it's going to be hard. He wants us to be ready. He doesn't leave us in the dark. So what he starts with here, what we've talked about today, is critical for us to bear in mind just even over the next several weeks as we work through this section. We have to remember that covering over all of this is Jesus saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled because the one who acted as your forerunner to secure your spot, to secure your life, not just here as a cheerleader or as a conscience or someone to give you a warm hug. 
I am here to offer you a powerful hope in my unwavering and unflinching presence with you here and now. Hope in his presence and in this truth may feel extra difficult for some of us in some of these days, may feel hard for us to see and experience how he is actually here, how he is actually working. So we have to make a decision at times to just know as best we can on a cognitive level, he's here, and then search to find it. Ask God when you're really struggling to just help you see where are you present. Because while it may not feel like it some days, we have to remember that the spirit hasn't taken a break in 2020. So there may be times though in these days when we may need to seek and act more fervently to remember that, to see that. Hope and comfort that Jesus is here, present in the now. It's in any progress that is being made for the good and the flourishing of others. It's in what is bringing you laughter and joy right now. It's in those spaces where you are finding measures of rest and Sabbath. It's in the fact that great art is still being created out of the things that are hard. It's in people learning truth and trying to act upon it, even when they are fumbling through it. It's in children, young children, unaware of the weight of the world, still growing and playing and enjoying life. It's where you can see life coming forth. Babies are still being born. Some sick people are recovering. The seasons are still changing. Hope and comfort in the Spirit's presence and work may just even be in God providing people for you to help you with what you need. It's in the fact that we're still learning. It's in people giving us a safe and a soft place to land when we have a day or maybe a few that we're not especially proud of. It's in God providing for our financial needs. It's in the fact that the sun still rose this morning. He is here. And for the life of the world and the strengthening of our souls, we have to pay attention and we have to give thanks. Hope is fuel for our fight. Hope is in the way, in the truth, in the life. A Jesus who hasn't gone anywhere, and he won't be going anywhere. Hope is in us remembering, church, the magnitude of the power that is coursing through our spiritual veins. Now is not the time for us to underestimate what that means as his people in this time and in this space, his body present, working towards renewal and restoration. So church, hear our savior, our redeemer, and our friend. Hear the one who loves you the most when he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in me. I'm coming, I will come again, and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Never apart, never alone. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for the incredible kindness and grace and mercy it is that just as people, you are so mindful of us. Mindful and grateful, Father, we are for the sacrifice of Christ and for what 
he accomplished, the magnitude of that. And so I ask for us as a church in these days to remember that one of the things that you act to secure for us is the continual power and presence of your spirit, of your son. Father, may that not be something that we forget or take for granted or decide to just reflect upon when we feel like it, but rather, Father, help us as a people, as a collective, as a community, to really feel and know and see and understand what it is that Christ, you are with us. Father, I pray that you would help us to see where you are present. That on the days when it is hard to see that we wouldn't beat ourselves up, but that we would instead just softly land in your grace, knowing, Father, that you are not a God who's disappointed in us on those days, but rather, Father, I ask that you would just gird us up, that you would bear us up in this. Give us the eyes to see so that our hearts may be strengthened, our resolve may be strengthened, so that we may fully be and show the presence of Christ in this world. We thank you for your love, and in your precious name we pray. Amen. Please receive this benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, to him be glory both in the church and in Christ Jesus, now and forever. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.